Welcome to Sex, Body and Soul. I'm Kate Roberts, founder of The Body Agency. And on this show, we talk about the marvel that is our bodies, what they can do and what they need to thrive. Ladies out there, our time is now. Let's get to it. It's horrifying that our vaginas and vulvas are still a mystery for both men, women, and children. We go through our lives witnessing changes down there from menstruation to sex to childbirth and then to menopause. Along the way, we may experience odors, discharge, possible diseases, pain, dryness, and wait for it, yes, pleasure. Our guest, Dr. Lauren Streicher, is a clinical professor, psychologist, and certified menopause practitioner campaigning for healthy, fully functioning vulvas and vagina. And I cannot wait to talk about slip sliding away to a healthy vagina. Dr. Lauren, welcome to the show. I am so happy to be here. Well, let's start with, I'm happy to show you my vulva. If you're happy to show me yours. I can see your vulva. It's on the wall right behind you. And you're holding one in your hand. Well, I have a vulva as well. Here's my vulva. I always have it with me, as every woman should, right? Yeah. Well, I feel like there are a lot of vulvas in the world. Half the world's population has a vulva. And they are so misunderstood by both females and males. And I actually just got back from visiting some friends in East Hampton in New York. And I took my vulva, my own vulva, plus the puppet, the vulva puppet. And I gifted it to one of my friends. And that literally was the star of the show for the entire dinner party. There were giggles. They were dancing with it. They were putting it on the head. I mean, it was hilarious. However, it just goes to show how much stigma of vulvas carry with us. Well, it's not even so much the stigma, it's the secrecy. I mean, think about it. Starting from when a girl is a little girl, there's shame, there's don't talk about down there, don't touch down there, and certainly don't use the right language. Guys have the advantage of with absolutely no effort on their parts, they can inspect their penis from morning until night and they know exactly what it looks like. But for women, it's not so easy. And then no one talks about it. No one uses the proper terminology. And it continues to be this taboo topic so that even as adults, women don't know anything about their own vulvas. Now, you certainly know everything there is to know, right? So we're very lucky to have you on the show. You are four times author. You've got these incredible books. My favorite one by far is Slip Sliding Away. So we're going to talk about that. And yes, I have the song in my head. But you have decided to come out as a doctor and really talk about the things that nobody wants to talk about or they want to talk about them, but it's so misunderstood. So tell us a little bit about you and what got you to where you are right now, because you are a physician. That's your job. And you do all this good extra stuff. So give us the lowdown. Well, I started off as an English and a dance major and then inexplicably went to medical school. But I always loved to write. So once I got out into my general OBGYN practice and I'm delivering babies like everyone and doing surgery and curing the world of vaginitis and doing all the things that gynecologists do, but I continued to write and I continued to get out and talk to women. And what I was most intrigued by were 
unmet needs? You know, what is it that I could do to help women that other gynecologists are not doing? And the first road I went down and my first book was about hysterectomy and alternatives to hysterectomy because so many women, one third of U.S. women were losing their uterus. Many times it was not necessary. They weren't given options. They weren't giving choices. And so that was my first passion, if you will, was helping women navigate that road. But then what I discovered is that so many women, after they had a hysterectomy, if they had removal of the ovaries, were also plunged into a sudden menopause, sometimes quite early. And I realized that I really wasn't equipped to help those women. So I pivoted and started to get very involved in the menopause world and learn about menopause. And I decided to write a book about menopause and specifically about sexual function post-menopause. And then, as the world of publishing goes, when HarperCollins bought my book, and that was Sex Rx, Hormones, Health, and Your Best Sex Ever, they said, well, we want this book not just to be for post-menopause women, but for every woman. So I started to learn more about sexual function through the ages, really starting at age 17 and 18, going to 100 and developed an expertise in that. And then that's when I said, okay, I really have to do the deeper dive in this. I left my general practice. I went to Northwestern University where I started a center for sexual medicine and menopause and a vulvar center because it was with the appreciation that women are desperate for this information and their own doctors aren't giving it to them. And I thought, this is where I can make a difference. So that's how I got into this world. And then of course, I never stopped writing, never stopped speaking. And that's what I'm doing primarily now because I realize that in the clinic, I can reach a certain number of women, but out there on the public podium, if you will, I can reach a lot more women. Well, our verbals are very grateful for you. And, you know, having worked all over the world, I mean, I've worked in the space for almost 30 years, and I can assure you that you step outside of the United States and it's even worse, right? There is absolutely no talking about what goes on down there. The second thing that is shocking, and I'm really happy to hear that you've gone down the focus road of menopause and really understanding it and the cause and effect and what happens, especially what happens to our vagina and our vulvas during menopause, because because it's not spoken about when we find ourselves in perimenopause and menopause, we as women have absolutely no idea what's going on and how to treat it. And then as you say, you go to your GP, you go to the doctor and they don't know because they're not specialized in it. And then the last thing I'll say is there's still that horrible stigma attached to uh, menopause. I don't know why we can't have children anymore. Maybe that's why, but there's all those horrible things that are said about menopausal women that, you know, your time is up and you've got a dry vagina. And right. Well, it becomes a joke. And at the end of the day, it's ageism and sexism. And I mean, you and I both well know that women live one third to one half of their life after the menopause transition, because of course, women enter menopause in their mid forties, sometimes earlier. And with life expectancies well into the eighties or nineties, that is over half of your life. So we do need to talk about this. And this is a good half of your life, not the bad half. You can have sex and not worry about getting pregnant. Think about that. Just think about pleasure and nothing else. Well, talking about that, I 
want to talk about your book, Slip Sliding Away. It's the greatest name ever. You have my orgasm book is coming up. That's even a better name. That's what I'm working on right now. (laughs) Fabulous. Well, I'm always up for a good orgasm. Slip Sliding Away, Turning Back the Clock on Your Vagina. Now, you do need to send me this book because I have not read it, full disclosure. I will send you the book. But the name itself needs explaining. And of course, us as women... Whereas a lot of women do not understand all the different parts of our vagina, hence us creating a vulva puppet, right? Because a lot of women don't know how many holes there are down there. We are not aware. Do we have an STI or is this BV? And then what is BV? And why does it smell like that? And what does this discharge mean? Most women have no So I do want to talk about, and then of course, a moist vagina is a healthy vagina, right? Which is why I love how you... And not just in terms of sexual health. And I think it's important from the get-go to point that out, that when we're talking about vaginal and vulvar health, yes, of course we want women to have pleasure, to have pain-free sexual activity, to have orgasms. But we also want women to have healthy urinary function, to not pee in their pants, to make it to the bathroom, to not have recurrent urinary tract infections. And women are not aware that this is all part of the same problem. And that when we're treating the vaginal and vulvar tissues, we're also treating the bladder tissues. I want to talk about that because we haven't really done a show on peeing yourself during menopause. And I feel like there's not good information out there about it and also why it happens. So can you explain that to us? Sure. When we think in terms of urinary incontinence, that's an involuntary loss of urine. And more than 50% of women in the world have involuntary loss of urine. And you said postmenopause, but the truth of the matter is, is that we see this in all age groups, even in women in their 20s and 30s. Because when you think in terms of risk factors, childbirth, pregnancy, genetics, smoking, being overweight, and then yes, the loss of estrogen as well. But long before women enter menopause, they may have problems with incontinence. And we now know that the diaper industry is Huge. I mean, we are selling almost as many adult diapers in the U.S. as kid diapers. And in Japan, in Japan, it's actually overtaken it. So when we think in terms of incontinence, there's two basic kinds of incontinence. There's what we call urge incontinence or overactive bladder. That's, you got the key in the door and it's, oh my God, I am not going to get my pants down. I am certainly not going to put the groceries down and I am not going to get my butt on the toilet before the urine starts coming out. And that is something that we see with increasing age. But then we have stress incontinence. Stress incontinence is you cough, you laugh, you sneeze, you run, you jump, and a little pee comes out. And that we see in all ages. And then we have the lucky women that have mixed incontinence means a combination of both. And one of the problems is, is that because it's so common, people think it's normal. But common and normal are not the same Thing. Do you have a stat just so we understand what we're talking about here? Over 50% of women right now, close to 55% of women have involuntary loss of urine, not necessarily throughout their life, but at least at some point in their life. But the numbers are going up. And one of the reasons that the numbers are going up is because belly fat is going up. I mean, we know that weight gain, obesity, is something that we are seeing an increasing amount of. And there are physical repercussions because you actually get increased abdominal pressure from belly fat, which means you are getting pressure pushing on your bladder, pushing on your pelvic floor, those muscles that make this nice trampoline to support your vagina, your vulva, your bladder. 
And so really what we're dealing with is dysfunctional muscles. You know, as women go through life, they're always so worried about their arms and working out their arms and their abs, but they also need to think in terms of their pelvic floor because that is going to be one of the major factors that keeps the urine in the bladder where it belongs. Okay, so we're going to work out our vaginas and of all this. That's right. You need a personal trainer for your vagina. Yes, definitely. Now, can I ask you also about, I don't know whether you include this in your work, but we're talking about losing pee. What about the other end? I was actually going to bring that up. And I am so grateful to you that you did. Because when we talk about taboo topics, fecal incontinence or stool or bowel incontinence is not as common, but it is very common. And if you think women are not going to go over lunch and tell their friends that they're peeing in their pants, well, they're certainly not going to tell them they're pooping in their pants, but they are. Women are involuntarily losing gas. They are losing stool. And it's very often the same women, of course, because not in all cases, but in many cases, this is a dysfunction, a weakness in the pelvic floor. It can also be a problem because of the sphincter, that little muscle that keeps your stool where it's supposed to be. And you would say, okay, well, why does that get loose? Well, first of all, we know that this can happen because of obstetrics, you know, because of labor delivery and all of that. Chronic constipation we know can create a problem, but people are having anal sex, either with a toy or a penis. And it was not really meant for that purpose. You know, the anus is kind of a one-way passage, and sometimes there can be longer-term repercussions, such as some damage to that sphincter muscle. So yes, we need to talk about it. And just like urinary incontinence, we have solutions. I'm very solution-oriented. It's one thing to talk about problems, but people don't want to know about problems. They already have the problem. They know they've got it. What they want to know is what's the solution, which quite frankly is why I write my books and why I do my podcast, because I want to give women solutions. So quickly then, we've got two issues that we just spoke about. Yeah. We've got the pee issue and the poop issue. What quickly is the solution? What do women do? Well, there's a lot of different solutions as depending on the problem, but at the core of it is pelvic floor. Not in every case, but most women, if they're able to strengthen their pelvic floor, then they are going to help with those incontinence issues. Kegels are not the answer. We know that everyone does Kegels. If ever, if they work so well, no one would be having incontinence, right? And we've got over 50% of the population that has it. Women don't do them properly. They don't do them consistently. In a perfect world, you know, I mentioned a personal trainer for your vagina. Kiddingly, but I'm not kidding. What we are really talking about is pelvic floor physical therapy, pelvic floor physiotherapy. And they are, I call them my vagicians because they are the ones that can rehabilitate those pelvic floor muscles, which can in turn make women able to not have the incontinence problem. So that's not the only fix, but it's the first place we go. Now, you said something a little profound earlier that really got me thinking. You know, we go through puberty and our parents are, you know, basically putting the fear of God in us, whether it's about being pregnant or being promiscuous or being touched down there and boys can't do this and boys can't do that. So we go in and it's all fear-based education, right? Then there's very little sex ed at school and then everyone then has to figure it out for themselves, whether people watch porn, which is unrealistic, or peer-to-peer, Everyone fumbles around. So we go through stages. We do our puberty thing, which is confusing and difficult. Then we do the, all right, now I've got to either not get pregnant or get pregnant. Then we deal with being a mom, 
you know, if you're in a sexual relationship, how do you continue to have a thriving sex life and juggling all the bits and pieces that go with then having kids and having a job and just trying to do it all, right? And then we go through menopause, right? And as you say, if you've survived all those other stages, if your vagina has survived all those other stages because it's not getting the attention it needs in many ways, now we have to think about, well, what are we doing with our vaginas for the next 50 years, right? Because, and you said that, and I was like, I didn't think about it that way. But to your point, so much of this starts when you're young. And I think one of the things, I know one of the things I learned when I wrote Sex Rx, and I really did a deeper exploration into sexual function in the 20s and 30s, is I had this newfound appreciation that it's not as if everything is great, and then menopause comes along and suddenly, boom, everything goes south. It isn't always so great from the get-go because women are very much left to their own devices to figure it out. I don't know if you've read Peggy Ornstein's book, Girls and Sex. Um, I just interviewed her for my podcast. And it's a brilliant work because she did research which shows that boys are basically taught from the get-go that they have an expectation of pleasure with sex. And girls have an expectation that they're going to give the boys pleasure as opposed to their own pleasure. And their mothers, of course, are not telling them that they should have pleasure because, quite frankly, most of the mothers don't know how to have pleasure themselves. So as you said, we have this situation where we have a taboo topic. The girls have no expectation of pleasure. They don't know how to have pleasure. They don't know how to have orgasms. We can certainly get into that whole thing. And then even if they do figure it out, along comes menopause and boom, now they're suddenly dealing with vaginal dryness and pain and great difficulty having an orgasm. And for a lot of women, you know, they just, they abandon. And my theory, and this has not been studied, this is one of the many studies I want to do. If you look at women that basically give up when menopause comes along and says, I don't want to fix this. I'm not going to go and find out what I can do to restore my sexual function. These are women who never had sexual pleasure. So they're just as happy to give it up. The women who did figure it out, either on their own or got some help and had wonderful sex and pleasure and orgasms, and then if it gets sabotaged when they go through menopause, those are the women that show up in our sexual medicine clinic and say, help, fix this. I've lost my orgasm and I want it back. But if you think about it, though, that's horrifying for most women. You know, we talk about this subject every day, right? It's normal for us. But most women, which is why they give up, the last thing that they would want to do is go into a doctor's office and say, give me my orgasm back. Well, they don't. And the doctors don't ask. You know, I do a lot of academic work and I give lectures to doctors all the time. In fact, I was just before we got on air, I was just preparing a lecture I'm giving in a few days to a large group of doctors about this, about how do you take a sexual history? How do you talk to your patients about sex? And the problem is, is what do doctors say? When you go to your doctor, if they say anything to you at all, I can tell you right now the question they ask you, are you sexually active, right? What does that mean? It means nothing. You know, women don't know why they're asking. They think maybe they are asking because they want to know if I need contraception or STI. Doctors never say, are you happy with your sexual function? Are you having pain-free, pleasurable sexual activity? Are you having orgasms? And if they do ask, they ask heterosexual 
married young women, because of course, single women don't have sex, right? You know, women who might have medical problems, people who have other problems, whether it's cancer, diabetes, heart disease, the doctors are so focused on that, that even though those are the women that are most likely to have problems, the doctors aren't asking. And why aren't the doctors asking? I can tell you exactly why they're not asking. Because if the woman says, I'm so glad you asked, I can't have an orgasm, they do not know how to help that woman. No doctor is going to ask a question if they don't have the answer. Wow. Fascinating. I want to talk about sex and religion for a second, because that's one of our definite barriers. I was chatting with a lady you might know who she is. She has a TV show. Her name's Julia Hart. She has a show called My Unorthodox Life, where she transitioned from a super religious Orthodox wife and mother, and she went over to the other side. She's coming on the podcast, so I won't ruin it for everyone, but she was telling me that she had no idea what sex was. Nobody in her family, as a super religious family, told her. The only thing she knew was that she needed to lie there and let it happen. And that was her duty and her job. And so she never had an orgasm, right? She produced lots of babies, but she never had pleasure. It was a duty. And she was telling me that, which again is a sin, she watched Sex in the City one day, which she shouldn't have been watching, and saw Samantha with a vibrator. And so she went out and bought a vibrator And that's how she had her first orgasm when she was 30. You know, it's so interesting. I did a podcast on the impact of religion on sex, and my guest was Muslim. And what we now know, of course, it's the extremes of every religion, whether it's Judaism or Catholicism or being Muslim, is that, you know, women are basically taught sex is bad, sex is evil, don't have sex. And then they get married and there's an expectation that they're not only going to know what they're doing, but that there's going to be some pleasure involved. The thing that's interesting, particularly about Judaism, is in the Torah, there is an obligation for the man to give his wife pleasure. And one of the most wonderful times I had in my life was I was in New York and I had the opportunity to go and hang out with Dr. Ruth for a couple of hours. Wow, my icon. Yeah. It was amazing. So I walk into her apartment and it was just me and my husband and a friend who had introduced us and Dr. Ruth, who's a ball of energy. She is unbelievable. And she greets us. And the first thing she says is she says, it's so nice to meet you. Do you have good sex? And my husband just looked at her and said, uh, yeah, thank you for asking. And she actually is a very observant Jew. And she was one of the people that really is making the point that there is an obligation for the man to pleasure his wife. But to your point, we know that religion has a huge impact on sexual activity. And that is one of the barriers that we are very often working with. Now, I'm a gynecologist, and therefore I do the physical, hormonal, biological aspects of sexual function, meaning that if someone has a physical, hormonal, or medical problem that's getting in the way, then it's my job to figure out what that is and find a solution. But having said that, I'm not a therapist, and some people it is just a past history of trauma, religion, cultural background that impacts on their ability to have a normal sexual function. And in addition, if they do have a physical problem, whether it's vaginismus or endometriosis or pain with menopause or whatever, we know that, yeah, I can fix the physical problem, but now I have to have someone who is going to work on dealing with what has this done to the relationship? What has this done to your self-esteem? What has this done to your base feeling of sexuality? And that's where sex therapists come in. 
my daughter's a sex therapist and she started off as a writer. And then I connected her to do some freelance writing. And she said, this is fascinating. So she jumped ship from her job as she was a journalist and she went back to school. She got her master's degree. She's now getting her PhD and she's writing a book about chronic pelvic pain, but she is a sex therapist. And it's nice because I don't do that part is my point. And that part is just as important. Well, I like that she's young and is a sex therapist because there is a massive gap there. And once we've done the podcast, I want to talk to you about that because we have a very interesting opportunity coming up that maybe your daughter can contribute towards. But I did want to bring up, I'm on the religious train right now because I was brought and raised by a Roman Catholic mother who was extremely religious and, again, put the fear of God into me about anything sexual and, of course, didn't talk to me about anything. But I've just met this amazing couple, Phyllis and Glenn. He is an uber-religious sexologist and Phyllis is his wife. And they've written this book called Connection Codes. And in short, they met as teenagers. They met at school and dated for about four years, had never been told about sex But the two of them had sort of, you know, like rubbed up against each other, kissed. And then on the wedding night, Phyllis basically had the worst night of her life. Like she couldn't understand why it was so painful, why there was no pleasure. And she went into complete trauma. She was completely traumatized and they couldn't figure out how to talk to each other about it. It was embarrassing. Their relationship went downhill. As they were telling me this, I realized that that probably happens to, I mean, this is crazy, most women, because I'm talking world here. I'm talking about the girl in India, the girl in Brazil, the girl in Central America or Guatemala, right? So Phyllis was 19 when that happened to her. And then her husband became a sexologist so he could learn about and teach other very religious families about this stuff and speak in their language, which I just think is fantastic. There's also a lot of unconsummated relationships, marriages, that people is another taboo topic because when couples have that kind of experience and sometimes it ends up in trauma, but sometimes it ends up in an inability to have penetrative sex, to have intercourse. And they're so embarrassed that there's no way that they're going to tell anybody, I'm married and we've never had sex. So they basically go along with this deep, dark secret. And very often it's only when they desire to get pregnant that they, out of desperation, show up in a doctor's office and say, we've never had intercourse. It is more common than you think. Well, honestly, Lauren, it's why I set up the body agency having traveled the world and always around female sexual wellness and sexual health. But mostly the focus was how do we get contraception into the hands of women who need it? I was just seeing such a massive gap. And menopause also was just never discussed, ever. And so I just realized that there needed to be a platform where people can find these products, they can find the education that they need, they can have a space that they can talk to other people about this because they don't want to talk to their doctor or if they go to their doctor, as you say, the doctor doesn't know about it, right? Doesn't know, right, or is judgmental. But I do feel there's a bit of a movement now, right? There's a few of us out there who are doing this and we are breaking those taboos. We just partnered, I want to get you involved in this actually, we just partnered with the media group BDG. They own Fatherly and Scary Mommy and a ton of magazines that parents, well, anyone reads. And we're doing a a sort of partnership around their campaign, Shameless. 
And it's all the subjects that bring us shame. And honestly, that is what needs to happen, right? We need to get this into the mainstream. And then we need to translate it into different, well, both languages, but also cultural norms, right? Like when you live in Laos, you're locked in the cow shed when you get your period because she's considered filthy, right? So we're dealing with all these things around the world. But I do feel the floodgates, excuse the pun, are opening up. I'm definitely sensing that. Are you? Absolutely. And one of the products that I'm involved in, I'm always transparent when I'm working with a company, but there's very few companies I agree to work with. And this one I'm working with for just this reason, I'm very excited. The name of the company is called Louie, L-U-W-I, which stands for Let Us Wear It. And it's a female condom. And it's with the idea of, okay, you know, this is ridiculous. We have 50% of unintended pregnancies are not no contraception. It's failed contraception. And very often it's because women are depending on guys to use the condom and they don't. And we can go on and on about the reasons that they don't. But the point is women have always taken control of their own reproductive health and contraception. And now we have to even do that more in our current climate. And that's why I'm so excited that there's this development of this amazing, wonderful female condom that a woman can use and she can control it herself. And not only is it going to be something that she controls herself, but it actually gives her better protection than a male condom. Because even if a male condom is used appropriately, that's not going to help when it comes to herpes. It's not going to help when it comes to HPV, you know, genital warts, because the condom only covers the penis. It doesn't cover the whole genital area. And the female condom is not only a sheath, which will completely protect the vagina and protect against pregnancy and getting an STI through the cervix, but it also covers the vulva. And what that means is that a woman is going to be far less likely to get one of these vulvar STIs. So I'm very excited. And where this is now being promoted and where we're working with is in colleges because most universities actually buy condoms and they supply them to students who go to the health service. Yay, that's great. We like that. But we want them to supply female condoms as well. And as we get out there and talk to these universities, we are heartened by how excited they are about this. They're like, thank God, because we have too many instances where young women end up with an STI or pregnancy because they were relying on the condom. You know, I have kind of a funny story about female condoms, which I'm going to tell you because female condoms have been around for a really long time. The, right, the old version. The new one's much better. Just <laughs> That's what I want to talk about because when I first started doing this work with an organization called PSI, and this was probably ooh, 22 years ago, I just moved to the States and I'm at this organization, PSI, and PSI were basically selling and distributing female condoms all over the world. And the focus was high risk groups. So sex workers, women who had no say in if they were going to have sex or not, you know, the husband comes home and, you know, has sex with them. And we would teach them basically how to put this female condom on. Now, just to give everyone the visual, it is basically a reverse condom. So it's a ring that goes over the vulva and then the penis. The sheath part, right, goes inside the vagina and then the penis essentially, or the toy or whatever someone's using, as it goes in, it really basically kind of makes it. Yeah, reverse condom. So I'm all excited about doing this work. And in the days of little post boxes, I know we had about 300 people in the head office and then our programs would be, you know, all over the world. We have a letter in each of our 
letterboxes from the company. And it's basically, there was a female condom. And they said, listen, if we're going to promote and get this out there and raise funding for it, everyone needs to know how it works. So I take this female condom home. And back in the day, and I'm sure you're going to tell me now that this doesn't happen anymore. It squeaked. (laughs) It was a squeaking condom. Does it still squeak? So this is the story. What you're referring to is the FC2 condom, which never caught on. And it never caught on for a few reasons. One is it was really directed towards, as you said, high-risk groups. It was squeaky. The material isn't great. And what they found is that the design of the condom is such that it basically hangs out of the vagina. And women said, I'm not going to wear this. This looks ridiculous. I feel silly. I feel stupid. I feel self-conscious. So the whole premise of Louie is, first of all, let us wear it. The woman is in charge. She is the one who's putting it on. It does not hang outside of the vagina. It certainly does not squeak. And in fact, the material is so thin and so innocuous that basically you can barely see that it's there. And it certainly does not decrease sensation on either the male or the female part. The design is lovely. It is completely different. And the FC2 condom, it's distributed right now in developing countries, mainly for prevention of HIV. It is not something that you see in the States. And this is a completely different thing. And when I was asked to become involved in this company, the first thing I said was, well, you know, been there, done that. We had this other condom and that was a huge failure. And then when I started working with the company, I realized this was something completely different and very exciting. So we're almost out of time. Tell us about your podcast. What's it called? What can people listen to? I'm sure you're as mad as I am, where it's like no topic is off limits. Absolutely. And in fact, I do a monthly newsletter, which people can sign up for free. And I have my monthly rant where I go on and on, whether it's the feminine hygiene industry or all of the myths and misconceptions that are out there. But I started the podcast really just a year ago and I was talked into it. I wasn't enthusiastic because I kept saying, well, I'm writing these books. And all the information is out there. And I've priced my books very low. You know, I have Sex Rx. I have Slip Sliding Way, Turning Back the Clock on Your Vagina. I have Half Flash How. I'm working on my orgasm book, which is Dr. Stryker Talks About Orgasm, Everybody Come. And I thought, all the information is there. But what I realized is people don't read books. People like to listen. And so I got talked into doing the podcast. And initially I thought, okay, well, this is going to be to get information out to peri and postmenopause women essentially tell them what their doctors are not telling them. Solution-oriented, whatever it is, whether it's their hot flashes, their dryness, their weight gain, their brain fog, their inability to sleep, that I was going to talk myself, but I was also going to bring on experts. And that's how it started. And then I realized when I looked at my analytics, I was shocked to learn that at least 30 to 40% of the people listening to my podcast were not in menopause. They were younger. They just wanted this education, which was heartening. And about 15 to 20% were men. So I've started to broaden it a little bit and to talk more about sexual issues that are for any age. And then I've also started bringing on guests who I think are just interesting, even if we're not specifically talking about menopause. Sometimes it's great to have someone on who just has a worldview or something that's interesting, even if it's not about the specifics of what happens in menopause. So it's been great fun and it's been doing incredibly well and surprised me with how well it's been doing. The New York Times did a nice little blurb on it a few weeks ago and mentioned it as being one of the podcasts to listen to. So I've embraced the whole podcast thing, which I did not start out that way. 
And what is it called? It's called Dr. Stryker's Inside Information. You're basically the new Ruth, right? You're the new Ruth. Yes and no. Yes and no, because I think I'm the new Ruth and that I will talk about anything to anybody. And I hope I'm a fountain of knowledge. Ruth was a therapist. I'm a gynecologist. So my approach is a little bit different, but in terms of my willingness to discuss the topic, yes. And where are you based? I'm in Chicago. In Chicago, very close to us here in DC. Yes, exactly. I'm at Northwestern University. I'm a professor there. I do do the academic stuff too. In fact, I just had a huge article come out in one of the major publications. Menopause is a big journal. And just this week, I had a very big article about all of the causes of painful penetrative sex covering things beyond vaginal dryness, because we forget that's not the only reason that people have painful sex. There are a lot of other reasons as well. Well, you need to get that over to us because we'll get that out there on our educational site, the Body Agency, because these are, again, they're just so important topics that are underserved. So thank you for all the work that you do. All our bubblers are extremely grateful to you. Thank you. And of course, we could talk for hours and do 20 podcasts. There's never enough time. So you definitely have to come back on. And I look forward to being on yours. And how do people find you? Well, you can find me. DrStriker.com is your easiest go-to because there I have links to my books, my podcasts, so much of the work that I do. And Kate, I have to thank you because you are an incredible voice and you're the one that is making this topic less taboo. It's one thing for a doctor to talk about it. We're expected to, but it's not expected that other people talk about it. So thank you for the work that you do. Thank you. I appreciate that. What makes my work successful is finding people like you and others who are professionals and it's science-based. It's not frivolous, right? Like we're talking about this as a human right and a medical need where there are gaps, right? So my job is to be the foghorn to make sure the products and the services and the information is out there in a way that people can digest. So I can't do it without people like you, Lauren. So really, thank you so much. Please do look up her books. I can't wait to read Slip Sliding Away. Just the best name for a book ever. And uh, I'll see you soon, Lauren. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Sex, Body and Soul. Remember, you can find all my favorite products and resources to support your health and sexual wellness through my one-stop shop, The Body Agency. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast listening platform. We are actually partnering up with Vital Voices to get much-needed dignity kits to the refugees in Ukraine. Girls and women do not have access to personal hygiene products that keep them safe and healthy. Please go to thebodyagency.com to donate a dignity kit today. Be sure also to sign up for our email list at The Body Agency for the latest curated recommendations from our industry experts and use our special promotional code podcast10 to get a 10% discount. Thank you for listening.